Welcome to the Living to 100 Club podcast. Here's our host, Dr. Joseph Cassiani. Welcome to all of our listeners tuning in to the Living to 100 Club podcast. This is Joe Cassiani, your host for this program. I'm very happy to welcome each of our listeners. As many of you know, these podcasts are recorded and are available within one week on the club website, livingto100.club. We focus on successful aging, longevity, and making it over the hurdles. And one of the best parts about hosting these conversations is bringing in guests to share valuable information with our listeners, information that makes us more informed, helps us to live longer and healthier, and inspires us to do better. Today is no exception. I'm very excited to announce that our guest today is Sheen Towers. Sheen and I will be discussing the talk that goes on in our head, what we commonly refer to as self-talk. How we speak to ourselves impacts how we deal with other people and how we cope with difficult events. Sheen will share his expertise about self-communications and the dialogue of self-liberation what it is and what it does. First, a little background. Sheen is a London-based hypnotherapist. He's been helping people to transform how they speak toward themselves for the best part of two decades. Through simple yet profound understanding, he has successfully helped many who have suffered trauma, abuse, depression, and anxiety. Now the co-founder of the Dialogue of Self-Liberation, also referred to as TDSL. Sheen is sharing this practical transformational system online, helping people to develop the mindfulness of self-communication and nurture self-forgiveness and self-compassion. Sheen hosts the TDSL Global Community Calls where he provides continuing support to people around the world who wish to improve and enhance the quality of their self-communications. As a lifelong martial artist, Sheen has also de- developed seated Qigong for people with mobility challenges. Qigong. 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 Thank you. Thank you. Welcome to our program, Sheen. Glad to have you with thank, us today. Thank you very much, uh, Joseph, and uh, thank you for inviting me. Great, great. Looking forward to this conversation. I always like to begin by asking our guests to tell us a little bit about the journey that brought you to where you are today. Well, with regards to the, the therapy work that I've been doing, um, I never wanted to become a therapist. The thought never entered my head. And um, I, many years ago, was introduced to a gentleman whose name was Vernon C.F. Bell. Vernon is uh, more, really famously known here as the founding father of the British karate movement. And uh, he um, was the first Englishman awarded a a black belt in Shotokan karate. And uh, that was back in 1957. And he ended up um, opening karate schools all around, all through the United Kingdom. Uh, And um, he was also not so famously known as one of the uh, one of the founders of the uh, oldest regulatory body for hypnotherapy in the United Kingdom, which is called the British Association of Therapeutic Hypnotists, um, which he was a founder member of in 1951. And so um, he was my friend and and we shared an interest in martial arts and uh, 
And also we shared an interest in um, the, what sometimes referred to as the perennial wisdom, the, the, the archetypes and themes and wisdom which uh, unites all the different religious teachings and spiritual um, spiritual um, uh, methodologies, really, uh, the wisdom that flows through all of them and the themes. So we, we, uh, we used to have some wonderful conversations. I liked him as a person, loved him as a person very much. He was uh, quite a mischievous character and a very blunt man and uh, one day I was visiting him and uh, early on in our conversation he said I'm going to ask you a straight and simple question only a yes or no will do do you or do you not wish to study hypnotherapy with me you don't have to answer now but before you leave here this afternoon I want you to either give me a yes or a no is that all right that's how he said it. And so for several hours, I was racking my brains trying to come up with a reason to say why I would say no. And every reason I came up with, I realized I respected him too much to give him a very poor reason why I would say no. Sure. And so the only reason I said yes is because I respected him too much to mm-hmm. just you know, give him a lame excuse. Mm-hmm and wriggle out of it. Wow. And I had, I had no idea what I was in for, but um, I, I accepted. I thought it was a wonderful opportunity because he, he had a wealth of experience of helping many, many people over probably about 50 years or so of his, of his life. And um, I remember the very first experience of going to study with him was I realised that I was entering into a process so basically, I studied with him as his personal student for the last four years of his life. And uh, during that time, he he gave the very best of himself to me. I got the very best of him. He, he passed on to me his preferred methodology of the latter part of his life and a very profound understanding he passed on to me of a principle. And what he taught me and how he helped me totally transformed my life on every level for the better. You see, I was completely unconscious uh, of how negative the internal dialogue that I become so habitually used to hearing myself say to myself about myself. I was completely unaware of how I picked up along the way because of experiences I had in my past some very negative beliefs about myself, very unhelpful patterns and habits of self-talk. And I, I was very stuck. I was always, um, I've, you know, some of the people who've known me for many, many years, my oldest friends, had no clue about how I'd normalised this inner negativity reflected toward myself because I kept it hidden. They would always say, you know, they'd describe me as a glass half full person and an optimist by nature. Um, But um, but it was when I was on my own Mm -hmm. that I became very skillful at giving myself a very hard time. Sure. I I became an abuser unto myself with the words I was speaking toward myself about myself, but I didn't realize I was doing it. Internally, Internally, you were a glass half empty. Yes, and so Vernon helped me, first of all, to, to acknowledge, to, to apprehend, to, to kind of identify the stories that I've been telling myself about myself. 
And then he helped me to understand how to let go of the habit of reinforcing those beliefs and those habits and patterns through altering literally how I communicate toward myself without myself. And so for the last uh, 20 years, I've been passing on the same understanding with the same methodology he taught me, utilizing that methodology um, with many, many people who've been to see me for help after, after he passed. I've seen incredible transformations in people who have come to see me in various states of broken, sometimes very, very broken and uh, very, very lost. And um, I've I've seen incredible transformations utilizing the uh, the methodology that he passed on to me. What a great story, very touching story about your your connection with him and Mm -hmm. his influence, a powerful influence, it sounds like. On you and your that, personal development and your and your professional development, that's a that's a very touching story. So I'd like to talk more about the self talk and the self dialogue. But first, just let me ask you about your your current professional work. What what types of clients do you work with in your practice? And what kind of problems do they present with when they come to see you? Well, it was uh, it became apparent very early on that there are many more people who've experienced trauma than I had any idea about. Um, So on a more superficial level over the years, there have been people who come see me for help with things as seemingly trivial, trivial as chocolate addiction. And in those cases, in that particular case is one particular client that comes to mind was it took more work to help that person to let go or to alter their, their relationship. And the way they perceive themselves in relation to chocolate, then it has done working with um, many, many people who I've worked with who've been raped. Um, it's a sad reflection on society, uh, modern society. But I've worked with many, many people who've been raped, uh, people who've been sexually abused, sometimes uh, systematically over many years Uh, And the uh, people who've been in violent relationships, abusive relationships, people who've been uh, randomly attacked in the most horrible ways, people who've been on the verge of suicide. So uh, a very, very broad spectrum. Um, But, uh, yeah, quite a, sadly, a lot of sexual abuse um, and rape. Yeah. Yeah, that's so interesting. We can't trivialize something as what seems like a minor addiction to chocolate because that Mm. that in itself can have a very pivotal role for the person in his or her own kind of awareness, self-understanding. Sure. Yes. Yeah. So uh, what's the role of hypnotherapy? I mean, I know this is a huge subject. We could talk for probably months about this, but what Mm. in a nutshell, what's the role of hypnotherapy in your practice? Well, I, I would say firstly, that, um, I don't like the term hypnotherapy or hypnotherapist. And uh, I tell my clients I don't because I, I, I believe that many people have very, they make assumptions about what hypnotherapy is and what it does and how it functions and what's going to happen if they uh, go to see a hypnotherapist. And I think a lot of hypnotherapists are glad that people make those assumptions and they trade off of the assumptions that people make. Um, And um, they leverage those assumptions. So 
Instead, I describe the work I do as I help people to identify negative patterns of internal dialogue and the associated negative beliefs we picked up about ourselves along the way. And then I help them to utilize the uh, creative power of their imagination to work out how to let go of the habit of dragging the past with them into the present or projecting it into the future in such a way that they they expect or assume that they're just going to meet up with the same experiences in the future. So basically uh, allowing the the past to be the past and to, and to learn the lessons from the experiences we've been through, what, no matter what they've, how traumatic or upsetting or challenging those experiences may have been, so that we can learn those lessons and then choose to no longer communicate about the past as if it were here now mm-hmm. or as if it's going to be there in the future. Because when we do that, that's when our problems persist. The, the, if you like, the, the wheel of suffering keeps spinning sure. because we're, we're telling ourselves, uh, I feel this, it's here now, uh, I'm, I'm always going to. Why does it always happen to me? These kind of things we say to ourselves and we normalize it and we, we accept that it's a belief based upon who we actually are. And that's why I said I did that for 20 years of my life believing that's just me life's taught me certain things and this is just how I am this is how it's likely to always be in the future as well so a lot of your methodology is really helping the person to learn the lessons as you said and respect the past but not let the past control us not let the emotions from the past control us today is that yes. assumption? Yeah. Ab- absolutely true. Yes. And with going back to your question about um hypnotherapy, even though I say I don't like the term, the the f- the first part of the um the work with the dialogue of self-liberation, which is the name that I, I give to um the methodology that Vernon taught me, uh is about developing the mindfulness of self-communication. Um I use a lot of metaphor and symbolism in the work because the symbolism and the metaphor conveys things beyond the words. So to the subconscious mind, it conveys certain things uh, more deeply. Um, And so there's a number of sayings that that crop up in the work very often. And one of them is, how can we possibly let go of something if we're not even aware that we're carrying it? Mm -hmm. So if, if we've normalized um, this belief that we are heavy on the inside, but we've forgotten that the reason we're heavy is because we've been carrying this big heavy weight around, dragging it around with us. And that's become so normalized that we've become numb to it. And then we forget we're even carrying it and we think we're heavy. Yeah. Yeah. What is it? Sorry, go ahead. Yeah. That's okay. Go ahead. What were you going to say? No, sorry. It's it's like this uh, extra luggage that we're carrying around. We don't know we're carrying it. It's just kind of part of our normal, normal life. This is, this is who I am. I'm just carrying extra weight. Absolutely. You know, it's interesting you refer to it as uh, like a, like excess baggage. You know, if we go to an airport and you know, they weigh the luggage and we've got too much, they charge a lot of money for that. That costs a lot sure. to drag around your excess baggage. And it's the same on the inside mentally and emotionally as well. It, it, it costs a lot. 
it, it, it's uh, got a hefty price tag on it, really. It exhausts us. And we wonder why we've got no energy, because we're drained, because yeah. we've been dragging this heavy stuff around with us. Yeah. So we first have to, um, first and foremost, in order to change, we have to be completely fed up with feeling how we've been feeling to the point where we're prepared to do something different. We have to be at the point where we say to ourselves, I'm really sick of feeling like that. I don't know quite what to do, but I really want some, I want to do something different. I don't want to feel like that anymore. Uh, and then, the uh, you know, if we've got that in place, that desire to change, um, then the first skill is, is identifying the baggage we picked up along the way sure. so that we then have an opportunity to work out how to let go of it and no longer drag it with us or no longer throw it into the future in our imagination with the expectation and assumption we're just going to meet up with it again. So that's helpful if the person reaches that point of, you know, kind of reconciling with himself or herself and saying, I'm done with this, I need to unload. That would be one motivation, <clears throat> but I'm thinking a person probably doesn't have to be at that <clears throat> that extreme level either to to want to change. And in terms of they feel some things aren't going right, they don't have to be at this kind of bottom place. No, the bottom. No, that's very that's very true. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I wonder if you could give us um, maybe a case uh, where you would look at this person's self-talk and how you helped him or her? Could you share something like that? Oh, goodness. Uh, yeah, take your pick. Let's see. Let's see. Um, let's see. If there was, a, say, there, there are so many that come to mind, really. Yeah, okay, here's one. It could be uh, a person who has been in a job where... Um, there's so many, Joseph. Uh, there's a couple here. One is a person who's been in a job where uh, they've been they've been being sexually harassed by their boss, and yet it's difficult to prove, and yet it has been persistent over a long period of time, um, and. Uh, it was a woman with a male boss. And so for her, it was about developing the confidence to confront this and to be able to have the courage and the strength to take the necessary action by going to her boss's boss, the boss of the company, who apparently she believed got on well with her boss, who was the, the person who was being uh, sexually harassing, and um, she thought that it was not going to go anywhere. It was just going to cause her um, uh, career to be impacted very heavily in a very negative way. She'd spent many years building up a position and uh, felt that it was not going to work out in her favour. Mm -hmm. And yet the, uh, what she had to deal with was just really awful. And... Um, so it was about building her confidence to have the courage to actually do this. And uh, to cut a uh, long story short, she worked it out. She worked out how to uh, let go of the, the self-doubt and the fear mm -hmm. and uh, went ahead 
and um, everything actually worked out very, very well in her favour. So um, she ended up uh, with the the boss siding with her and uh, the person concerned losing his job and um, was able to deal with that uh, in, a, in a very courageous way and also um, at the same time looked for another job and found another job that was working much better for her and uh, in an environment where she was well away from uh, um, all of that stuff. So it was about overcoming something very, very, you know, um, unsavory, very tricky, uh, difficult to work out how it was going to go. And it was about having the courage to try, really. And, uh, and she was very successful. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. yeah. Perfect example See where the self-dialogue kind of held her back and kind yes. of kept her frozen. Uh, she was un- unable to take those necessary steps. Probably yeah. some uh, self-criticism or finger-pointing at herself, too, for, mm-hmm. you know, was she part of that uh, harassment? Mm-hmm. Did she give off messages? I mean, I just don't know, but yes. sometimes if she yeah. faulted herself for some of the problem. Yeah. Yeah. There was another another client who uh, had a morbid fear of public speaking, but ended up in a job role where that was uh, something that was required to speak in front of large audiences of people. Um, and uh, she would be terrified uh, um, when approaching the microphone and, and for the weeks leading up to it, absolutely in pieces, worrying and fretting about it. Um, but then with a little bit of work, uh, what we realized is that it wasn't actually, it, it felt like fear, but what it actually was, was excitement. Mm. Because as soon as she did that for the first time in this new job role, her boss, one of the, the, the very experienced uh, bosses, came up afterwards and said, that was absolutely amazing. As soon as you got on that microphone, everyone in the room was was transfixed everyone was really listening to everything you said um and so she managed to work out that she's actually really good at that and it was actually excitement that she was feeling but didn't know how to process it because she perceived the excitement as fear so we had to transform the way she perceived Mm. i helped her rather to transform how she perceived um, the the feelings in the body and the whole lead up to the thing became uh, like a, um, a, a different stages along the way of a process that she would enter into in her imagination so that the approach was uh, was um, approaching something which was just really wonderful and exciting. Um, and uh, yeah, that worked very, very well. Mm, good story. Yeah, uh, kind of redefining herself and finding that side uh, of herself that she was not in touch with. And it reminds me of that story about Michelangelo when he was asked how he could create such beautiful, you know, uh, works of art from a block of stone. He said, well, uh, you know, it's a job of the sculptor to find that perfect image that's in there and release it. So we have to get in touch with our different sides sometime. And, you know, uh, it's fearful. I'm sure there's some steps that uh, creates some anxiety about getting in touch with those other sides. I call it redefining mm-hmm. ourselves, and sometimes we uh, we let yesterday define who we are today, and that's uh, that's too bad. That's unfortunate. So yeah, and and it's all too common. That's the thing, you know. 
um, the core principle of the dialogue of self-liberation is based upon the, the fact that our problems persist because we communicate toward ourselves about our past as if it were the present or the future. Mm. And of course it's not. We're, we're alive now, but it, it happens unconsciously through little words that we would say to ourselves about our experience. And the, literally the words we use give content, they give emotional content to the experience. So when we say, I feel whatever we say after it, we're describing that I, I feel. This is something I feel. And then what we say after, I feel angry. And then we've defined what we feel. Maybe what we're talking about is an old anger. Yeah? Maybe it's because of something that happened yesterday. It could be something happened 20 years ago. And we're still carrying around an angry feeling. and We're snappy at people or a person because of something, still angry, still holding on to that anger. Like, you know, when you play fetch with a dog and you throw the stick and sometimes the dog comes back and it won't give you the stick. You go to grab the stick and it'll hold on tight. It doesn't want it. It's my stick. It doesn't want to give it away. It's my stick. Right. And sometimes you can pick the stick up and kind of wave the dog around, <laughs> swing it about, and it's still holding on to the stick. That's what we do with our anger, with our, our lack of self-worth, our fears and you know anxieties you know our traumas and upsets disappointments grief all of that stuff we drag it around with us and we don't know how to let it go yeah we're not taught how to let go and it plays out in different ways so where where does this come from what what makes the self-talk good or bad i mean just thinking too much or dwelling on things where does it come from you know, I, th- I think it's, again, a sad thing that uh, we're taught to use language in a particular way where it, we've normalized that uh, somehow we, we would never dream of speaking harsh, spiteful words to any, anybody. Most, most decent people, they don't do that. Right. They're not spiteful. They're not harsh. They're not going to go up to some... You know, if I I use this uh, example, I say to clients, you know, I imagine is there is there like a a child who you have you got kids or have you got like, uh, you know, like friends who've got kids or whatever. And if you imagine like an adult looming over that child, wagging the finger, saying you're useless, you're ugly, you're going to be a failure in life. No one likes you. You're really unlovable. Uh, I say, I say to them, you'd be in there like a shot to defend that child. You wouldn't stand for it, would you? And they say, oh no, of course not. Uh, and yet, somehow, it's become somehow acceptable that it's okay to speak to ourselves like that. It's we refer to this in the dialogue of self liberation. I refer to this as the hidden epidemic because it's a worldwide thing. It's like we wouldn't dream of being spiteful to another with our words and. So, and and uh, you know, um, in in that in that way, really, to to uh, uh, be spiteful to someone else, and yet it's okay to be spiteful to ourselves. And I did that for twenty years of my life, mm. uncon- unconsciously, until it was made. I was made aware of what I was doing to myself, and then I was taught how to let go of the habit of of communicating like that to myself. Mm-hmm. And it makes all the difference. 
So this is a harsh um, uh, conscience or the uh, superego that's too too uh, critical of ourselves or I mean, does this come from parents? Does it come from teachers? Um, yeah, it can come from parents, teachers. You know, when we were, when we were school kids, having uh, been bullied, spiteful words spoken by uh, uh, a husband, a wife, uh, a lover, a girlfriend, a boyfriend. Yeah, definitely by a teacher. Mm. I had that um, when I was a, a child. Um, I was in the top class for maths, uh, and uh, that was uh, when I was probably about nine or ten years old. Uh, and the teacher really didn't like me, and she used to call me snail. And she used to shout and scream, snail, you're stupid. And the whole class would laugh, and my ears would go bright red, and I'd get terribly embarrassed and sweat. And I ended up believing that I was stupid at maths to the point where every time, even with simple arithmetic, you know, multiplication and subtraction and division and things like this, uh, like a, a wall would suddenly come down if I was asked a, a, a sum like that. And I believed I couldn't do it to the point where when I left school, uh, I, I left school when I was 15. And I, as soon as I taken my end of school exams, I took a, an exam for uh, people with learning disabilities called everyday mathematics. And I failed because I believed that I, I couldn't do it. And yet over the years, I've become very fascinated with, uh, uh, with numbers, but maybe not in a conventional way, not to do with arithmetic, but uh, more um, in other ways. Sure, sure. So for someone who has this autocritical nature or self-criticism, in their self-talk, um, for any of our listeners that might experience some of this, what would what would you say to help them get started? Other than you know finding some professional help, where would you where would you encourage them to start observing, and what steps could they take to ease up on themselves? Well, first of all, we have to recognize that we're fed up with feeling how we've been feeling, and we'd like some we'd like things to be different. Mm -hmm. Then. Uh, I would really recommend that, uh, as Vernon said to me the very first day I went to study with him, he said, the first skill you're going to need to acquire if you want to feel better about yourself and the life you're, you're living, excuse me, is the, is the skill of monitoring what you're saying to yourself from moment to moment in real time. What are you actually saying to yourself now? And is what you are saying to yourself an example of playing an old hurtful memory over and over again or imagining variations on that memory in which if only I would have done this different, if only I hadn't have done that, if only I'd have said this or acted like that. And, of course, we just torment ourselves by doing that because we can't change what happened. But we may spend hours weeks, months, years, thinking, if only I would have done this differently or that differently, and we torment ourselves. Because what we're actually doing is just, you know, playing with a, a very old trauma and re-evoking those feelings and being stuck in the past, in our imagination, in our memory. Uh, or, he said, are you imagining a future in which you continue to believe 
that you're just going to continue to suffer. You're going to feel rubbish in the future and the same things are going to happen again. In which case, you need to develop the skill of really listening to what you're saying to yourself so that you can catch these things and then write down what those things are actually saying. What have you been actually saying to yourself? So writing a list is very important Mm -hmm. in the work. And so in order to, as the first skill that Vernon was describing, uh, I refer to as developing the mindfulness of Mm self-communication, being mindful about what we're saying to ourselves about ourselves. And I let, for instance, the most common negative self-limiting pattern of self-talk that I've come across over the last 20 years is I'm not good enough. And it's incredibly common, no matter how successful a person may be in one or several areas of their life. It's still incredibly common that people somewhere on some level level have picked up the belief that they're not good enough in some way or another. And it may be because they've had, uh, they've been told they're not good enough, maybe by parents or by a boss or by a lover or whatever it may be. And then they drag that belief around and then beat themselves up because they believe that whatever hasn't worked out for them in the past is their fault because they're not good enough. Um, And uh, it's incredibly common. And we say those things in so many different ways, spiteful, hurtful ways toward ourselves, about ourselves, beating ourselves up, feeling full of regret or shame or guilt. And shame, shame and guilt and regret don't do anything to help us to make progress. They just keep us stuck. Sure. Yeah. So this is where mindfulness comes into the picture. I wanted to ask about that. So it, it's really starting, the process starts with observing, being mindful of that self-talk, and then making a list of these repeated phrases or thoughts or sentiments, whatever goes on. And you see these uh, common themes, like I'm not good enough, you see that. And that, that would probably show up in many people as they're you know, looking at their own uh, dialogue here. Mm-hmm. You know, with the Living to 100 Club, I, I talk about successful aging, but I also talk about helping people manage setbacks, cope with difficult situations, obstacles that come along, maybe physical, maybe uh, loss of a loved one, maybe, you know, some kind of setback, whatever's going on. What recommendation would you have to help people deal with these setbacks and not necessarily triggering a lot of uh, negative self-talk, but just to, just to get over these hurdles. Do you have any, any kind of thoughts about what, what people can do to get through these hurdles, these setbacks? Right, so it's a very broad question, isn't it, really? Because what kind of setbacks and what yeah. kind of challenges? Well, they have a, a fall and they, they're confined to a wheelchair and they can't drive anymore. Or they have okay. a stroke or they have a... Yeah, yeah. Heart condition, a heart attack, and uh, mm-hmm. they, they're fearful of you know what's what's in store for them in their future. Mm-hmm. These kind of setbacks. 
Okay, so so um, there's a, a very old Chinese saying, which is where the mind leads, the qi, the energy follows. Mm. And this is true of everything in life. If we fixate on a particular idea, we pour our mental and emotional, emotional energy into that uh, mold, if you like, and we, we pour ourselves into the mold and we become that shape. We create for ourselves an experience or a belief that we align ourselves with. So we need to be very careful with how we are communicating. If it's, say, someone who's had a stroke, my father, my late father had a stroke. He was a very proud man and a very active man. And and when he had the stroke and one half of his body wasn't working very well, he became very insular. He became very, I think, depressed, really. It really got to him mentally and emotionally. Um, but uh, he bottled it up and um, I tried my very best to help him to communicate with his body in a way where the way he would literally speak to the, the parts of the body that weren't working very well, to encourage them to trust that they can relearn how to, how to, re, how to connect but unfortunately in his case he did the opposite and this is all too common is that we take parts of the body for granted until something uh, is not working as it's supposed to and then invariably we curse that part of the body we say my stupid arm my bad leg my useless foot whatever you know Um, and none of us like to be told we're stupid or bad or useless and it's the same with parts of our own body so there's an area of scientific research that I find very fascinating, which uh, is referred to as psychoneuroimmunology, sure. which is the influence of the mind and our intentions uh, or, uh, and the influence that can have uh, on the physiology of the body and, and on, on a cellular level. There's a lot of research now, evidence that's, that's um, uh, backing up that the way we literally speak to the parts of the body, uh, the the vehicle which we're inhabiting, uh, have a very profound influence over our ability to heal, our ability to reconnect and to um, create new neural pathways in the brain um, through uh, the neuroplasticity, the brain's ability to adapt and to find other ways of connecting. Uh, so literally how we choose to communicate with ourselves, depending on whatever the challenge may be, in terms of rehabilitation after maybe a fall or a, an injury or, a, um, uh, like you say, a stroke or a heart attack or whatever, speaking kindly to the body goes a very, very long way. There's a, a professor, I wish I could remember his name. My wife knows of my, my interest in psychoneuroimmunology. And there was a, there's a professor, he's a Scottish gentleman, um, who uh, she, he was giving a, a, a talk in London uh, a few years ago, and she got us tickets for this talk. And he told a wonderful story about some uh, particular research where a lady had um, a kidney failure, um, and they told her that... Uh, um, it was either continuous dialysis or transplant or, you know, or it wasn't going to go well. 
So she decided to um, engage in regular meditation. And in her meditation, what she did, and this is how he described it, she visualized her kidney um, as this great big thing in front of her. And she would approach the kidney with a bucket and a sponge with soapy water. And she would wash the kidney down. Mm. Then she had another bucket with clean water and a sponge and she'd uh, rinse it down. And then she had a towel and she'd lovingly pat the kidney dry. And then she'd give it a little kiss. Yeah. But she did that on a cellular level. She was imagining it as a kidney cell. Uh And then she'd move on to the next one. And apparently she regained the function of her kidneys. This is what the the gentleman said. And this is a researched, apparently uh, documented uh, case where that regenerated. Yes, I've heard those stories. I've heard that. Uh, Bruce Lipton is someone who talks about this a lot. You you might. Yes. Yeah. Yes. The power uh, and how we can influence what happens to our physical bodies in a positive way and in a negative way. Uh, Very strong evidence showing that we do have that control. In this case, a perfect example of that. Yeah, great story. So we're running out of time, and I I, I do want to ask about your your being this uh, martial artist, uh, your lifelong interest in martial arts, and how have you used those skills in your in your work with patients? Well, yeah, I mean, yeah. Yes, very much so. I mean, I use a a lot of metaphor that comes from things that I've learned through my studies and practice. Things my uh, my teacher, who my teacher's name is Sifu Nathan Manajid from Columbus, Ohio. Mm. And um, uh, there are certain things that he said, certain principles that he teaches that go way beyond the physical practice of a martial art. He's a very down to earth man, uh, but he's also a very deep soul, deep thinker. And uh, someone who said certain things at certain times that have really stuck with me, like, for instance, um, the following people think that vulnerable means weak, but it isn't to be vulnerable means that we are open and being open is the goal of this work. You know, uh, things like that. Sure. Um, So uh, the the uh, developing Kung Fu as well, you know, uh, Kung Fu literally means a skill which requires time and effort to develop. So that Kung Fu applies to everything. So, for instance, um, a chef has Kung Fu in the kitchen. Um, A barber has Kung Fu with scissors and a comb, etc. And so if we can apply the same attitude toward developing, if you like, um, the Kung Fu of self-communication yes yeah developing it as a as a skill which we we hone with practice over time then in the dialogue of self-liberation this this becomes a life skill it becomes a new default when we've learned the skill of no longer beating ourselves up with that self-talk and we know how not to do that then that becomes like a default because why, why on earth continue to beat ourselves up when we've found a way to not need to do that anymore? 
Sure. So that becomes a form of Kung Fu. Yes, that's beautiful. And then we see what new doors can be opened when we let go of that. Old yeah. Mind, right? yeah. Yeah, being open and receptive to new opportunities. Yeah. Fresh perspectives. A little vulnerable, but uh, also much stronger, right? Yes. Well, that's great. That's great, Gina. I have enjoyed this conversation very much with you. I'm sorry Thank you, Joseph. Yeah, you're sure welcome. Uh, before we wrap up, I just want to remind our listeners about a few items. I'm pleased to announce a co-sponsor for our podcast, A Mighty Good Time. Are you looking for ways to stay engaged and stay active? Check out amightygoodtime.com. It's a one-stop shop for events and activities for those 15 over. It's free to search and it's free to post. Amightygoodtime.com. Also, be sure to visit our website and see the option to work with Dr. Joe. That's me for one-on-one conversations about managing setbacks, overcoming a negative outlook, and getting back to feeling engaged and motivated again. Visit the Work with Dr. Joe page on our website and see the options available. You can pick up a copy of my book on Amazon, Living Longer is the New Normal. I think that whatever age you're at, inspiration and a positive mindset can be put to good use. That's my message in the book. And be sure to sign up to our email list for announcements and newsletters with information and resources about moving forward. And while you're there, you can download a copy of my nine tips for living longer. A lot of useful, practical strategies for successful aging and staying positive. Uh, Sheen, thanks so much for being a guest on our show. For those who might want to contact you, how can they do that? Thank you very much, Joseph, for inviting me. Um, I would recommend people check out the uh, Dialogue of Self-Liberation website, which is learntdsl.com, learntdsl.com. And there they'll find several different options of how they can engage in, in uh, online courses or, or, or also working on a one-to-one basis with myself mm-hmm. uh, if they want more personal uh, help and assistance. But we have a couple of courses. One is an audio course that's downloadable via an app on a mobile phone, uh, which is uh, five lessons with accompanying audio exercises, um, guided visualizations, and what we refer to as guided contemplations, which are suggested spoken voice exercises. And um, then we have a live program, which is um, the same material in a larger format with PDF downloadable PDFs, plus the audio material, plus one live Zoom call with myself, with a small group of people once a week for five weeks at the same time each week. Oh, great resources. Great resources. LearnTDSL.com. Well, thanks again, Gene, and thanks to all of our listeners for tuning in. Hope to see you next time. everyone, this is Meredith from the Senior Fitness with Meredith podcast, where I discuss all things for seniors. From fitness, your health and wellness journeys, how to be all over strong and beyond. I also have my mini podcast called Motivation with Meredith. It's a great, quick, motivational pick-me-up for your days. 
Join me, listen now, search for Senior Fitness with Meredith on your favorite podcast platform.